Hello, and welcome to One Stop Co-op Shop, your one stop for board game news and reviews. This week, game designers Peter Gusis and Michael Kelly will review a cooperative game and have a related design discussion. Hey, I'm Peter, and I'm here with Mike. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the One Stop Co-op Shop podcast. Today, we are looking at a game that I covered back when the Kickstarter was live, but uh, the game delivered and they sent us a copy of the full production one, Exodus Rise of Corruption. And that's X hyphen Odus, not uh, Exodus Alpha Centauri or whatever that other one was called. Yeah, it took me a little while to figure that out. You kept telling me about Exodus and I got really excited. And then I was like, oh, you're talking about a different one. I haven't heard of this one yet. Well, that's because it hadn't come out yet. So that makes sense. And then we're also going to have a design discussion about whether you want to group up in co-op games and games that encourage you to go out on your own. So grouping up versus soloing it in a co-op game. Yeah, but before we get to all of that fun, let's thank some of our Patreon patrons. So we, of course, appreciate all of you. You help us defray the cost of putting on the podcast, the YouTube channel, picking up games, all those kind of things. But this week specifically, we're thanking Travis Romani, a co-op MVP, Kenneth Froelich, a co-op lover, and Alexander Chun, also a co-op lover. So Travis, Kenneth, Alexander, and all our Patreon patrons, thank you so much. And don't forget, if you don't want to do Patreon, you can still support us by joining the Slack, the Discord, and the conversations over there, uh, going to our Facebook page and chatting on that, or sending a review to us on iTunes for the podcast. Any of that stuff helps us and also helps us build this cooperative and solo community we're building. So we appreciate anything you have or any time you want to spend with us. Yeah, and I'm going to do a special shout out to iTunes because it's been a while since we've had an iTunes review. I know they make it hard now to do, especially if you're not an iTunes user. But anybody who doesn't mind, I just this is a, a one-time shout out. I haven't done this in three years, I don't think. So yeah, if you get a chance, please go to iTunes. It helps our visibility there and it helps people find the podcast. So please... You know, if you get a chance, review us on iTunes. All right. So, Peter, we continue to not play live together. Uh, What have you been up to with your gaming? I know you've been playing a lot with your kids lately, right? How's that been? Yeah, no, it's been great. And I'm playing some all-time favorites. So I've started bribing my kids. So my kids have gotten into video games and they're like, Daddy, I want to show you this video game. Daddy, I want to show you this video game. I'm like, you know what? I will play your video game with you, but you have to play a board game of my choice with me. And so I have definitely been bribing them, but it's been working. And I got in uh, two games of Gaia Project, one with each child. I got in Nations with Nick. So I'm definitely getting in some of my favorite like 4X games, some games that sometimes take a little bit longer, a little bit more commitment, but games I just been jonesing to play. So it's been great. That's great, man. And I've also been playing with my uh, family a bit more than usual. And it's pretty much been all escape room games. So Peter let me borrow uh, the most recent Unlock release and uh, some of the most recent Deckscape. So I played through those with a mix of my older son, who's seven, and uh, my wife, and we love those. I just played with my son, uh, one I got a review copy of that by the time this airs might already have my video up. And that's, uh, what was it called? Escape Plan? Or no, Break In. Break In is the series. I think this is the first one they've released, but they have two more coming. Uh, Break In Alcatraz, it's like a big box. And you slowly peel it back and reveal like new layers of the puzzle. And it's all kind of 3D. So that was pretty cool. And then another one I'm covering uh, probably a week or so after this podcast airs. Uh, My son loved Escape the Dark Castle. And that's actually a funny story because 
which is not an escape room, by the way, for anybody who yeah. doesn't know. Yeah, that, that, that is funny. The only game with the word escape actually in the title. Uh, my son loved Escape the Dark Castle, and then I stupidly traded it away or sold it or gave it away, I forget which, uh, in a Shelf Life episode. And then he got really bummed out, and I commented that he was so bummed out. And then one of our listeners sent me the game again. So I got the game back to play with my son, and he just loves it. So we got Escape the Dark Sector, which is uh, coming out in mid-September, I think, or delivering to backers. Uh, they sent us a review copy. And man, I, I love it. It's sci-fi instead of fantasy. So some people might like the themes differently. But they kind of upgraded the combat to have a bit more decisions. And this is a game that doesn't have many decisions. So I was kind of happy to see that. And yeah, Harrison is asked to play that like three times in a row. And it's just a ton of fun, especially kind of with that casual, just have fun game crowd who don't need a ton of decisions or like strategy going on. Yeah, we'll have to play that again. Uh, hopefully they have it on Tabletop Simulator. And we'll have to review that coming up. Because, I mean, it's I don't even know that you could have five points. I don't know that the game has five points about it. But I did enjoy it myself, too, which is crazy because... You know, there, I don't think I made five decisions in the game, but I still had fun. Well, like, like I said, this one has a few more decisions. I think we'll barely get to five points with this one. So no, I'll let you borrow it and we can definitely, uh, you can play it that way, worst case. Cool. Let's get into Exodus. And Mike, why don't you cover the theme? So it's, it's a fairly tropey sci-fi theme. You're in a kind of uh, not super advanced spacefaring civilization. You're each the captain of your own ship. And there were these precursors that left behind these ruins with artifacts And there's also like this corrupting force that's trying to eat the whole galaxy. And the idea of the game is you're trying to find the keys, the precursors left behind, uh, kind of upgrade your ships, get new technology on them, fight off these avatars that come out, these uh, horrific representatives of the corruption. And you got to get all the keys and shut the corruption out before it can destroy the neighborhood and everything you call home and love. Yeah, and gameplay is actually fairly straightforward. You basically have a certain number of actions based on your ship. And with those actions, you're going to go exploring new tiles. You can either blind jump into them or scan them first. You can do explorations within those tiles, which is basically drawing a card and doing what it says on it. You can fight enemies if you have if you're in the same space as them. You could try to avoid them. But basically, you're going around and you're trying to find these locations that have the keys. You're trying to gather all of the keys. It's either three in a three-player game or four in a four-player game. Gather all the keys, take them to the final location, place them all there. So that takes another action to place them there. And do this all before the ancients that are running around the board, these big ancient ships, come and destroy you. And at the end of the game, if you got all four keys on the final space and the ancients don't blow up your ships there, then you win. Yeah, and they do have this. I'm sure we'll talk about this in our five points, but they have this mechanic where each ship has different colored dice and your ships can like level up by doing different things. And in combat or hiding from enemy ships, you can roll some of your dice and you're looking for different symbols. But I think we'll get into all that in the review. So, uh, Peter, you want to start us off? Sure. So for those of you who are just joining us for the first time, thank you. What we do here is we talk about the top five things we think about the game, starting with number five, which we think is the least important thing you need to know, and going to number one, which is the most important. So my number five is the exploration. So there are basically two different types of exploration in the game. Number one is you're exploring different tiles, and you have friendly tiles, and you have enemy tiles. And the way they set up the game at the beginning of the game, you're going to take a stacks of six tiles 
and you're going to shuffle them together and you have like five or six stacks depending on the number of players in the game and you stack them on top of each other. Well, in that bottom stack of six tiles is this final location that you're trying to close off where you have to put all the keys. So you're going to have to explore most of the tiles in the game. So that's one way you do exploration in the game. And the other way you're exploring is there are these little symbols on some of the spaces that let you explore that space. And you can only do it once in the game. So you put a cube on there to mark that it's unexplored. You take it off once you've explored it. And basically you're drawing a card. Some of these cards are good. Some are bad. And this is a little bit of a mixed one for me. On the pro side, I really like how you explore the galaxy and the galaxy grows as you go along. They have like blocking edges, so you can't exactly line it up exactly how you want. So each of these tiles are hexes. And when you place them down, three of the six sides might be blocked. And so you have to place it in such a way that you can get there from the tile you're leaving from. And also you want to leave yourself different like escape routes. So the map builds out in different ways each time. And then half the tiles are good, half are bad. So it's not like a game like Zaya where you can jump to a tile and just get killed immediately. There'll always be a chance for you to escape combat or avoid detection. So I like a lot of the ways that that map exploration goes. I'm a little more lukewarm on the other exploration where you take an exploration action and you flip up a card and, you know, they're about half good, half bad again. But the bad ones can sometimes be really, really bad for no reason. And, you know, you could either do something awful or you could get something really good out of them. So as a little more lukewarm on that exploration, certainly there are some, well, at least one ship in the base game that's very good at doing that and needs to do it. And so I became happier with it the more I did it because that ship specifically has ways of mitigating it. But eh, I was a little lukewarm on that. So overall, I liked the way the exploration worked, but you know, it wasn't perfect. Yeah, and it's interesting. Both those things are two different points on my list, both higher than number five, and I split them up because they uh, didn't kind of follow the same thing for me. So I'll get to them later, but my number five is also a mix. And this is uh, going right to what our design discussion will focus on, the idea of fleets in the game. So the idea is you need to have three or four ships. So if you're playing with two players, you each control two. If you're playing solo, you got to control three or four. You get the idea. And when ships are in the same hex, the same space, they can choose to form a fleet and then basically share their actions as they move along in that fleet. And on the positive side, I do think this is a kind of cool choice for players to make in that combat is safer if you move together as a fleet and you still both get rewards. Like if you blow up a ship, you both get rewards for that ship. So they even have a nice incentive, unlike a lot of games where if you fight together, you just have to split everything up among yourselves. And there are also some ships uh, in the unique types that directly kind of reward a support style. Like the big one is this repair ship. They level up by repairing themselves and other ships. So by going in fleets, they'll have an easier time with that. Another one literally (laughs) gets experience when it forms a fleet. So clearly you're going to be doing fleets. But the negative side, and this really only comes in with, I think, three or four players. The negative side is that with a fleet, you can kind of feel like you're locked in. You're not making choices. You're just kind of along for the ride, especially if one player is a stronger personality, kind of has more alpha player tendencies than the other. And if, again, you're playing three or four players where you control a single ship, I think that can really kind of come to the forefront. Like if I become part of a fleet, have I given up my turn? Am I making any real choices on the turn? If we don't get into combat, you might not feel like it. But if you're playing solo and two player, I don't think it's a problem at all. That's why it's my number five. It doesn't necessarily even matter as like a negative that much of a time, but it might hit you up in a higher player count games. Yeah, I'll get to that one in a minute. I mean, 
Here's the funny part. When we make these design discussions, it's clearly on a key point in the game. And I feel like we should almost rule that out as something we talk about as one of our five points, because we're clearly probably both going to have it just because of the inference of having it, just because we know it's something strong in the game. Yeah, or it goes the other way. Like I, I made my top five list for the game first, and then just thinking through the key things in the game, the design discussion came out of it. But yeah, you're right. We, we might have some redundancy in our discussion for sure. But let's go to my number four, which is the the bosses and the enemies. And I just said ramping up. So you start with level one enemies in the enemy deck. And then at a certain point, you kind of level up to the level two enemies and avatars as well. And there's even a space you go where you when you fight enemies, you fight a leveled up enemy. So you're grabbing it out of that higher level deck. And not only will that fight be against the higher level enemy, but then when you bring the higher level enemies out, it also levels one of them up as well. So it's kind of a cool system. I love the way this works. I think it increases the tension as the game goes along. I really love it. And then the avatars come out, and those things are unkillable. Not only because you are not strong enough to kill them, which most of the time you are not until very late in the game, but also because even if you do manage to kill one, they still come back two or three turns later. So it is very hard to get rid of them. They are a pain, and basically you are just avoiding them as much as possible. So I really do like the way it ramps up in difficulty as you move along in the game. Nice. I'm going to kind of touch on the enemies as part of it at another point. So <laughs> again, we're we're hitting similar themes here. But my number four, I called it a straight up con and it sounds like you didn't like it either. It is those uh, exploration or encounter cards that you can have at a certain spaces you can take an action. And I, I put this as a con because number one, Peter, I agree with you that they can be too punishing and the negative ones are too bad. So I think they uh, they did a poor job of incentivizing that action, unless you do have the one ship that levels up from it. I think those should be consistently good. Otherwise, why am I going to do that? If they hurt me too often or have too much of a potential of hurting me even, I'm not going to waste my actions on those when I can do things that will directly contribute to me winning the game. And I think that's a bummer because I know like looking back at the Kickstarter, people were kind of giving their ideas for these encounters and there's like cool writing on them and they have great art on them. Like there's all this really neat stuff going on with them. But then you you have like a lot of reason not to do them in some games as long as that exploring character is not in there. You know, here's the biggest thing. The negative ones, I'm fine with negative encounters, but you cannot gain anything from it. It is entirely Correct. a like either avoid the bad or nothing happens for your action. Like, just give me some scrap for it. Give me some kind of reward for defeating that thing. I think that one small change would have fixed this to like a mix or a pro for me. But as it is, it's not a major part of the game. You can literally play the game without doing it too much and you won't feel like you're missing a ton except for this big untouched deck of cards. But it feels like a missed opportunity. That's why it's a con for me. Yeah, I will tell you when I didn't have the Explorer character, I would never do it. Yeah. And I don't see a reason to do it because as you said, it not only could be a wasted action, and again, you have four of them per turn, and you can even boost yourself to get a, an extra action. So, well, you have three or four a turn, I should say, depending on which ship you have. And then you could get a fourth or a fifth action by, you know, taking some damage at the end of your turn or risking taking damage. But the bottom line is, why would I do that when half of them are going to hurt me and not help me at all? I don't know. And maybe it's not half, maybe it's less, but I mean, not only am I losing the action, but then I'm actively getting hurt on top of it. No, thank you. Yeah, I totally agree with you. But what's your uh, number three, Peter? So my number three, you covered already, which is the grouping up action. And I, just like you, I think it's a mixed, I think at higher player counts, it's probably a con. 
you know, if you're grouping up in a four player game and you're like, all right, let's do a group this turn. I'll take the lead. Next time we group up, you take the lead or you discuss it or literally like I'll do one action and you do the next. But some of the actions are like moving and the others are like healing. I I don't know. I'm mixed. I really like the concept of it. I really even like the way it works mechanically. My only problem is what you said. If everybody's controlling their own ship, you, you kind of feel like you're not playing for part of the turns. And there's enough turns in the game. Like, I don't know, what are there, 18, 19 turns? Yeah. So losing out once in a while wouldn't be bad. But it tends to be when you group up, you kind of stay grouped with the same people. And so because of that, I think, you know, there might be an easy way to fix it or, or to work it out among your group. But just realize that, you know, you're not going to be in control of all your actions, potentially, if you do group up a lot. Yeah, and I think this does, I think you're right, Peter. It comes down a lot to kind of your group. Again, one to two players, it should be fine in any case. But with three to four, if you're the kind of group that doesn't like mind doing things together, then it might be fine for you. And I would even say in two players, it might even be a pro if you're each controlling two ships. Because as I suggested to you, I think the way I would want to do it, and I haven't done this yet, I played two player, but I only played with three ships, would be that my other ship groups with you and your ship groups with me. So that way you get to roll some dice when I'm fighting and moving around and I get to roll some dice when you're moving and fighting. So I think instead of like grouping your own ships together, it'd actually be more fun to group with the other person. Yeah, that, that's a great point. I, I like that. Yeah, so I think for one or two players, it is pretty much a pro because I think, again, the choice of greater safety versus like quicker tempo and exploring is a great one. So I think it kind of works cool mechanically. Yep. And I, I mean, the other thing, just so we don't make this seem too bad, is it's not like your four actions take very long. I mean, you know, fighting is the longest part of it, but even then it's just kind of rolling dice over and over again. But I mean, for most part, you're like, moving a tile you like flip a tile place it down and move your ships there so it's not like you know it's not like this this big long set of actions that you're missing out on even if you uh you know the the choices are interesting but the actions don't take very long i guess yeah good point so my number three does touch on what you already said about the enemies but i also kind of tied the combat mechanics into this and that makes it uh, a mix for me The enemies, I totally agree with you. I think it has a nice ramp up. I think those avatars are so terrifying. And like when you can defeat them in combat, it feels like such a rush, even though they do come back pretty soon afterwards. I think that's really cool. I think they did a nice job with the enemies. And combat is okay. It is pretty quick. It's pretty simple. Basically on your turn, you pick whether you want to roll two dice or one die. And you have these kind of bad symbols that will have the enemy attacking you. And apart from them having special abilities, that's it. They don't have to like do an enemy turn. So it's lightning fast, but especially early on before you get abilities or when you don't have enough energy to spend and power those abilities, it can just kind of be like a lot of roll dice, no, roll dice, no, roll dice, no, roll dice, no. And it can be a little bit mindless. So that's why it kind of falls into a mix, but you know, leaning pro, you just have to go into it with the right mindset. It is not like an epic tactical battle unless you have like three or four of you all in battle against this crazy avatar then it might be but uh, generally speaking combat is maybe on the simplistic side and won't appeal to everybody yeah and i mean the more most interesting part of combat to me is choosing whether to retreat or not because when you retreat you can retreat in your own space you could retreat to an adjacent space i mean you could choose to play offensively or defensively where you roll either two dice or one But I mean, most of the time I'm not rolling one dice unless I'm about to die. It is pretty swingy. And the reason I'm talking about it a lot here is it wasn't one of my points. There there is a lot of luck to it. But 
I really enjoyed it for how fast it was. I mean, bottom line is you're not rolling your attack dice, their attack dice. You literally roll your two dice and your dice will tell you everything. It tells you whether you get hit. It tells you whether they get hit. It tells you whether you get a critical hit against you, meaning you roll two hits against yourself and then you'll take a damage card. So I love how fast it is. And I do love how a lot of the ships have something to mitigate that dice. You can spend energy and use some of your powers to mitigate the combat. Yeah, good call. All right, so you're number two, Peter. My number two is the ships themselves. And actually, it probably could have been my number one. I mean, this reminds me a lot of something like Spirit Island, where every spirit is different. And I just like exploring the different spirits. Not only is each ship unique in its dice that it rolls, it's also unique in the upgrades that it gets and how it gets those experience and levels up. And when we talk about gaining experience, you only need two points of experience to level up. And usually you get an experience for things like exploring with the one ship or rolling a certain number of hits with another ship or, you know, forming a group with another ship. So a lot of times you are going to get those experience pretty quickly. You might get one or two a turn even. So you're going to level up pretty quickly. And I just found it interesting how that all works. I love the uniqueness of the ships. Uh, I mean, this is probably my favorite part of the game. The number one pro for me is just how different those ships feel. Although I guess the only con to it would be, I'm not exactly sure that there is a million paths for each ship. I think once you explore them, unlike something like Spirit Island, where you have a lot of ways to explore it, I think once you explore them here, you only need a couple games to kind of get the most out of them and kind of see how you feel about them. Yep, that's uh, my number two as well, and I agree with everything you said. It does definitely lean very pro for me, because the other thing I'll add in that I don't think you mentioned is they do have these item cards you can gain. They're not as impactful, and they often aren't as consistently usable as your ship's abilities, but it does add even a little bit more differentiation from game to game. Now, the thing is, you don't get a ton of them, and that's partially because they are often gained by the exploration cards. We've already said there's some issues with uh, how much you want to do that. Maybe there's some group think at work here. I don't know. But yeah, I really like it. Uh, it was fighting for number one, but something else won out over it. But I do uh, really like the ships. And even though there's not a ton of them in the game, I do think they play a little differently based on who's in the game. So like the one that uh, groups up with other people is going to be very different if you have like a combat heavy ship grouped up with them versus like the exploring heavy ship. So I, I kind of like how that all plays out and how uh, even if you've played with a ship before, putting on a new team will change the way it functions a bit. And I think might even push you to try out different uh, abilities. Although I agree with Peter, there are kind of maybe ideal trees. That ideal tree might be different based on the composition of your team. Yeah, and I agree with that. And I didn't mention it, but I like explored with some like combat heavy builds. I explored with some exploring heavy builds. So I do like how that works a lot. So even though the ships themselves may get samey, I I think the combination of ships is cool. All right. So my number one is probably going to be different from yours, actually. My number one is the end game. And it kind of will tie into what I think you're going to say. And if not, then I'll put it in my final thoughts. But for me, the end game it's kind of a cool puzzle in certain ways, but it's a big letdown in other ways. 
So the big thing is these avatar ships, right? Like depending on the number of players, you're going to have a different number of avatars out trying to stop you at the end of the game. So I really like how you get to the end of the game. I like that you're getting these keys. You put them all on the final portal and then like everybody comes and attacks you. Basically it turns immediately over. The avatars come and try to stop you. And if they stop you, great. And if not, then you win the game. But I don't like how gamey like some of the things are where if you put somebody between you and the avatar, it'll stop the avatar. I mean, I guess thematically it's kind of cool, but there's also some other gaminess with the avatars that kind of lead up to the end game. Like the number of turns in the game isn't set because every time you flee away from an avatar, you add a turn. So there are ways though to flee and just hide in your system and then you don't increase the turn limit. So there's a little gaminess with the avatars and the end game as well, where you're really just doing some things to block them. But when the end game hits, it's really cool. Like if you get one avatar in there and you got two or three ships fighting against it, that end fight can be really cool. But mostly it's a negative for me because it seems like a big puzzle on that last turn where you've done all this cool stuff all game. And then it's like, okay, if I block him here and I do this there, then I'll only get one avatar, but then we won't be fighting with these ships. The more I describe it, the more cool it sounds. But in actual fact, it doesn't seem as cool when you're playing it. At least to me, it didn't. Yeah, I mean, literally everything you said, except I, it was a total pro for me and I never had like any of those letdown games. And it did feel like a big puzzle, but it was an exciting puzzle. But honestly, it's it's not just the end game, but it's kind of everything leading up to it, which is back to your number five and that first type of exploration. That's my number one for the game because I think that's where the biggest kind of tactical choices come in and even, I guess, strategic choices kind of game reaching. Because as Peter mentioned in the rules, you have this ability to scan from your current system and see what's next to you, which is a way to you know very, very quickly explore a lot of the tiles because you need to get through all of them to get to the end. But then you can also do these blind jumps. And when you get these uh, these red spaces, I forget what they're called, but they're like the corruption spaces, the avatars can teleport from one of those to other ones. So once you see one of those, you might want to move away or try to get another one near it and then like scout in the opposite direction. So I found, I mean, it might be gaminess. I think it is gaminess, but it's also kind of the most engaging strategy I found in the game. The puzzle of how to explore and where to explore to set up that end game in the right way, because... Honestly, when I won the game, I felt like I had been setting up for that win for the majority of the game. And the entire way I built the whole puzzle of the map is what contributed to that ending or or not winning. Uh, So that might be why it was a more positive experience for me, because I kind of saw it from a bigger perspective. And that's definitely my favorite thing of the game, because it's what requires the most kind of thought for me and makes it feel like a more strategic kind of fulfilling experience. Yeah, no, I uh, I can't disagree with anything you've said there. So I'll just quickly go into my final thoughts. There are two big things that we didn't talk about. Actually, I thought number one would be this for you, which is the game is super difficult, like super duper difficult. I have won one of the games I played, but that's it. Um, <laughs> so I, I've definitely played like six times. I won one of those times. So game is super duper difficult. And I feel like it's super swingy with luck too. You know, combat is almost all luck. The exploring, there's a lot of luck there. I did have fun with the game. Bottom line is I enjoyed the game. I don't know how many plays are in the box. I played it six times and I was like, yeah, I don't need to play it anymore. I think I would enjoy playing it, you know, pulling it out every two, three months and probably playing one or two games. Unlike game we talked about a week ago, 
which had, you know, a lot of turns as well, which this game has a lot of turns. This game, the turns go real fast and the enemy turns weren't very long. So the, the length actually didn't bother me. Uh, what bothered me is I felt like there's limited stuff in the box. I feel like you only have six ships. And for me, that was the coolest part. And I wish I kind of had more to play with. So that's my final thoughts, a little bit mixed, but I certainly would play it if you get a chance to. Yeah, and I'm very similar to you. I think that the game does have somewhat limited variability. It is definitely fun. It's a nice sci-fi themed adventure game, and we don't have a ton of those. I think it's got kind of more strategy than it might seem, but you're right. It's difficult. It's swingy. I, <laughs> I, one thing I really wish I had uh, suggested to the designers back when it was in the Kickstarter phase the easy mode is super swingy in how easy it is because you uh, you have to like see these precursor keys and you have the chance of them being like the easy cards, but they seed in just a few of like the hardest cards. And if you get those, it's still going to be as hard as if you were playing on hard mode. It's just a greater chance of the cards being easy. And just looking at that, I'm like, well, couldn't you have just made it automatically easy? If it's, if it's easy mode, <laughs> then just make it always happen that it's easy. So... Yeah, there, there's some like weird things here with the difficulty. Like Peter said, definitely swingy uh, when you go for the extra action and you happen to roll two damage and you get a uh, damage card on your ship and you can't repair it for a while because you're out of scrap. Things can get pretty desperate pretty fast. I still really like it. Fully recommend playing it. Uh, you know, should you go out and buy it right away? Eh, it's a minor recommend. I think uh, you can enjoy it, especially if you don't mind kind of the fleet stuff we were talking about. If you think you'd enjoy the puzzle of building the map. But no, this is not like a top 20 for me. It's it's a fun game. I'm glad I played it, but it's not the best one out there. I will say I really love my first couple of games with it. And so it's a game I would certainly try to play if you can. Yeah, and somewhat telling for me, I think I played it six or seven times for my Kickstarter review. And then when I got the production copy sent to us, I probably played it another four times, but it was it was markedly less exciting, which, you know, makes sense. I think the first time you play a game and when you first get that prototype or that Kickstarter delivery, it makes sense. He'd be really exciting, but certainly it, it faded a bit for me on plays like nine and 10. So I think I had a similar arc to you. Cool. All right. Well, let's get into our design discussion, which is to group or not to group. That is the question. Yeah. And for me, this comes down to kind of the positives and negatives of designing your design for that. And Some games have the choice. Exodus clearly has the choice with the fleet function. But I think it's uh, interesting to start off and look at kind of how games do with each. So I'll start with an example of a game that is all grouped and might be negative or positive for it. Uh, This is one I reviewed a while back, uh, Legends Untold. Do you remember that one, Peter, where you're kind of like building the map with these big cards? So in that one, you're always in a group. You're always exploring together. You're always fighting together. And... In games like that, the positive that I would say right off the bat is constant involvement. It's not like I have to wait for you to take your turn and like go off in some other direction. It's not like you're going to have a fight that I'm not involved in because we're all together. So it's got kind of that pro going for it. And if your group likes discussing and making choices together, then it's really nice. But the negative of, I think, games that force you to all be grouped together is the potential loss of agency, especially if it's the kind of thing where like you all take actions together, like you all move together. You don't really have your own kind of things you do in your turn. I think uh, it has the more potential for alpha player if your group struggles with that. So I do think it's kind of a group-based problem, but those are some of the pros and cons I see with games that kind of force you to group together. That's the only way to play. 
Yeah, the one I think of for this is Doom Rock. So you have that one phase where you're all like exploring the mainland together and then you get into your fights and the exploring the mainland part is all group based. And then the fight part is all individual. And so sometimes I guess it could even be intermingled throughout the game. I don't know that there's any game where you're just always playing as a group. I guess Magic Maze is the only one I can think of. Uh, But even then you have your own individual role to play within that group. So maybe that's an interesting way of breaking it out. If you have these grouping situations, maybe you could do something where each person has a role that they are specifically assigned to in that group. Or maybe you say, hey, you got four actions. Each person takes two of those actions. I don't know. I, I Again, it, it could be a group problem. I, I think some people are going to hate it when you're being forced to group. Uh, and I think there'll be people that certainly don't mind it as much. Well, and there is a genre of game that is pretty much all entirely group-based. And those are going to be games that are kind of uh, choose-your-own-adventure-ish or like narrative adventure games. So uh, Escape the Dark Castle, which I mentioned earlier, that's a game where you're always in rooms together and except for making choices of who goes first and like who you shoot in combat, (laughs) you don't really do anything except move together. Any of the choose your own adventure board games they did, role player adventures that I covered uh, the Kickstarter of recently. Again, these are games where you have like kind of your actions within the group or like you roll for your combat But in the end, you're all going together. And you could even liken it to something like uh, Dungeons & Dragons if your group stays together, which in a lot of dungeon delves, most groups will. You know, there's that whole mantra of never splitting the party and how that's a terrible thing. So then you just get down to the idea of, okay, we'd all just kind of move together and I have my turn to do something cool or I have my turn in combat, but we are one kind of monolithic unit. And yeah, I I think it's fine. For those kind of games, I think it's the only way to work. I don't know how it would be if uh, the story was kind of split up. And we've seen how the story splits up sometimes in things like Seventh Continent and Tainted Grail with uh, mixed success, where I don't really know what your story is and you don't know what my story is. Sure. Yeah, I I don't know. I think think it's okay to have everyone be together. But how about uh, the opposite? How about games like where I'm off in one corner of the map and you're in your own space? Yeah, I mean, that could be problematic too, right? If you don't feel like you're doing anything to help the group, then that could be a problem. Now, there are ways to do it very cool, I think, as well, where, hey, you need to do this in your own side so I can do this on my own side. And this is not a perfect example of it, but do you remember that one unlock game that we played where they split the party and we had different puzzles we were working on, but we needed to work together? I love that moment. Yeah. Yeah, that, that was in the original release. I think that was the hardest of the original three, like the airplane crash or whatever. Exactly. Yep. And so I think there are cool ways to do it. I thought that was very cool. I know it got mixed reactions. Some people didn't like it, but I thought it was neat that you had to work together still, even though that you were at different locations. So I think there are ways to do it. Well, and my favorite games, I don't really have a problem with games that keep you together all the time. Like, as we said, there's kind of a reason for certain types of games. But I do think if I never interact with anybody else, that's a problem because I've lost all cooperation. So I like uh, game designs where they cleverly incentivize you to come back together. I'll say, uh, you know, one of the best ones at this is Pandemic, because you need to kind of split up and put out the fires all around the globe. But the game actively encourages you to come together. You know, like I'll build a uh, research station that you can use to move around with. And of course, we want to get together to trade cards, complete sets. 
So I think just that little touch where you include something in the game that is a major bonus to being together sometimes. And maybe Exodus went too far in the other direction and it was too good to be together in some cases and you didn't want to split up enough. But I think if you kind of uh, match that balance well, that's probably the best way to be for most games. Yeah, and then people are going to get sick of hearing us say this, but I think simultaneous play does the best job at this. So when you think about it, Let's say you have this situation where you've got to take care of your fire, I got to take care of my fire, and we don't really care what each other are doing. Well, simultaneous works great there because we can kind of double the speed at which we go through it because you're taking your actions, I'm taking my actions, we're, you know, never the two shall meet. And so if we're playing simultaneously, it doubles the speed of the game. But then in the same game, there'll be situations where we need to help each other. Hey, wait. Before you push that guy or, hey, can you bring that guy in my range or, hey, can you take care of this problem before I do this action so that way it'll even allow me to do this action? Like that to me is cool because then the game slows down. So the parts where it slows down are the parts where everyone is involved. And so for me, that's a great way of doing it because it goes fast when it needs to go fast and it slows down when it needs to slow down and when you're having the most impact on each other. Yeah, although I think that's a simultaneous play can exacerbate the problem when a game has too much kind of separation between characters geographically and action-wise. Because at least, you know, in a game like Pandemic, where it's player turn, player turn, player turn, no simultaneous at all, you know, I'm forced to, that that's a negative way of putting it, but I'm forced to be paying attention to your turn, talking to you, maybe that'll increase alpha player, it has its own issues, but at least I am engaged in your turn in some way. Whereas, you know, something like Spirit Island, that is simultaneous play, and it does totally what you just said. You might start off on your own island, but certainly to win, you have to pay more and more attention to each other and have interlocking and kind of uh, cooperative action combos where I do this to set you doing up that, and it's brilliant. But, you know, if, if I'm playing uh, Street Masters with a simultaneous variant and I'm in one corner punching these guys, and you're in your corner punching the boss, you know, I might feel like we're not even playing the same game. And then maybe there's value to not having simultaneous, because at least I can watch you on your corner of the board and still appreciate what's happening on your turn. Well, it's funny, because I've had this discussion with Jerry, and you guys have heard us talk about Jerry in the past. He's one of our friends. He's the other guy that we game with pretty regularly. And we were talking about Marvel Champions with this. And Marvel Champions is not simultaneous. And he feels like he doesn't really know what's going on in my turn, even though I try to very clearly show what's going on and explain what's going on, or he doesn't care. So yes, games where you have your own actions and it's not simultaneous may lead to moments where you're watching and like cheering someone on, but they also may lead to apathy and like, all right, when is your turn going to be over so I can go? So it depends how invested, I guess, you are in that cooperative element of it. Well, I guess, the, I mean, <laughs> we're kind of ranging around a bit here, but I think that might come down to the impact of your actions on my survivability or the group's survivability. You know what I mean? Sure, absolutely. Like, you know, if it's the end of a game and you're taking a separate turn and you're on the other side of the board... If your game design is good and the tension has been built to where I'm hanging on your every action, desperately hoping you roll the right thing or you do the right thing to give me the chance to win the game on my turn, that's great. And the fact that we're not in a group, we're not even near each other, 
like our, our actions are still complementary. We're still working towards the same goal. I think that's really good game design. Whereas if I can totally tune out your turn, and I, I don't know, maybe it's not even about the end game and the victory conditions, because clearly Marvel Champions has a cooperative victory condition where you both have to punch this villain to death. But maybe it's more about the uh, the obtuseness of your turn. You know, like you might be on the other side of the map, but if I can pretty easily tell what you're doing and see the exciting bits of it, that's great. But if you're going through like a hand of Marvel Champions cards and paying for all these things and that effect leads to this effect and I just kind of get confused because I have my own cards in hand to worry about, maybe that type of game, you have this feeling of being separated. Clearly Marvel Champions, it's not like I'm across a board from you, but maybe there's a separation, like a cognitive separation of me fully comprehending what's going on in your turn and appreciating it in a way that lets me still be invested. So you haven't played Marvel Champions as much as I have. And honestly, I haven't played Marvel Champions co-op as much as I played it solo. But let me ask you about games that you have played a lot, which are Arkham LCG and Lord of the Rings LCG. How do you feel on other players' turns there? Because again, you're taking your own separate turn, your own separate action. And that's a little different than what we're talking about here. But do you feel invested in those actions that other people are taking? Or do you feel like you don't really care? I definitely feel more invested in Arkham for two main reasons, I think. Number one, I know it better. So I'm like really in the headspace of those cards. I've kept up with every release. So I kind of get a feel for what you're doing on your turn. But also because Arkham is basically a board game, whereas Lord of the Rings and Marvel Champions are clearly card games with no kind of like physical locations you're moving through. I mean, Lord of the Rings kind of has a bit of a location system, but it's not really like a major thing. For Arkham, like I feel like we actually have this ebb and flow of like, I'm going to go off, but if you get too far away from the group, you're going to put yourself in danger. And then my guardian character might come over to kill that monster that's threatening you. So I think that one does hit the ebb and flow of characters moving around well. Lord of the Rings, I don't know the game as well. I get confused with what you're doing, especially if I'm playing with somebody like Colin or Steve, where they have like these really intense decks they've built that I don't fully comprehend yet. And also it doesn't have kind of that tactile feel. It's more like Marvel Champions, where you just play out your turn and you're not anywhere in a space. My ability to help you or not is entirely dependent on the cards I have in my hand and the way I built my deck, because I might not have a support-based deck. I might not have Sentinels and range units that can help you anyway, So, you know, I I don't really feel like I have much to do on your turn, even though clearly your success or failure is going to influence whether we win or lose. That's not against Lord of the Rings. I had an amazing time playing it with Colin, for example, in the uh, dragon scenario we've uh, filmed a while back. But I was still kind of waiting for my turn and just enjoying playing with Colin because he's a great guy. Whereas Arkham, I'm actively engaged in the turns more so. Well, and I think that's interesting. I think it is harder to make grouping a thing in card games versus where there's a board involved. Now, one game that breaks this rule is a game we've both played a lot lately, and we played it a lot even during the the second co-op con we've had, and I'm sure we'll have a third one. So if you guys are interested in that, definitely join the Slack. But the second co-op con, I know we played a lot of Greyport. And that is a card game where you have to group up because basically you're active on every player's turn and you have limited things you can do even on your own turn. So for me, you're kind of taking a group turn there because there's a lot of, hey, I can do this. Can you do this? And and everybody kind of does assume their own role there in trying to kind of play out this little puzzle that's going on. Yeah, and I i mean, I love that one. I, I keep on forgetting how great that game is, and then I play it, I'm like, this game is fantastic. I wish it had found more success and gotten more uh, kind of notoriety and gotten more expansions. 
But yeah, it's so good. But, you know, that's another one where the same thing could be bad for a certain group if there's too much alpha player and like people telling each other uh, like what kind of cards to play and all that kind of stuff. But I think it's great. And I think at the co-op con is the first time I'd played it in uh, with five players in gosh years. And that was a blast. I was like, Oh my gosh, the, the resource management puzzle of like who I help out on this turn, but then I can't help out this other player at all on their turn. Yeah. It did give it a tactile feel. It's not like board based in that case, but it's kind of like turn based. You know, like if I'm really far in this person's area, then I can't help out that person because I don't have the resources left to get to their area and play cards for them. So yeah, good example. So is it the same thing to have, I mean, because we've certainly talked about integrated turns versus everyone having their own turn. I feel like this is a little bit part of that, right? If you have integrated turns, I think it's easier to get that grouping up feel. And I know that's not exactly where we started with this conversation. Whereas if you have separate turns, I kind of feel like I'm doing my own thing, even if I'm doing something for the greater good of the group. You know what I mean? I do. But again, I think designs with separate turns, if they build in ways for like, if on my turn, we talk to each other and I move over to you and give you like the bow of awesomeness that allows you to slay a dragon on your turn. I still think the fact that the turns weren't integrated is not changing the kind of separate and then grouped feel of the game. I think a lot of it comes down and and we're, I guess, mainly looking at like adventure games and dungeon crawlers for this games where you actually have a board and can move away and back, the game design will bear out that cooperation or not make you feel like you're together or make you feel like you're not together. Even if I've walked across the continent away from you. Yeah. And I'm sorry, I've taken the conversation in a lot of different directions tonight, but let's bring it back to the group dynamic where you have one action as a group to do things. Like, what are your thoughts? Do you think this can work and where do you think it's best? I mean, I'll go back to what I said. I love choose-your-own-adventure games in groups. Sherlock Holmes Consulting Detective, when you play that cooperatively to solve a case, same kind of thing. I think it can be cool if you take turns picking. So that's like how a lot of the choose-your-own-adventure games do it, or Sherlock Holmes does it. And, you know, in Escape the Dark Castle, it's usually a good idea to take turns being the you who's affected by the encounter you draw. I think if they make what you do in between the narrative engaging... Like role-player adventures, I personally found the little dice puzzles engaging. Some players won't because they're not that complicated. But that was enough for me playing co-op that we can kind of have fun with the story, but then I could feel like there was something individual going on with me. But yeah, for me, the games that best do the group-up thing are where it's a narrative reason why we need to be grouped up, whether that's choose your own adventure or something else. And it kind of goes along with that narrative, and we are telling a story together. And it really does feel like a role-playing game because... Again, apart from like the special sessions of role-playing games where you do split up, a lot of RPGs play out where the players are in a group together. And that's just a kind of feeling that is natural to me as an experienced RPGer. Yeah, I'm coming back to the games that we talked about at the very beginning, what you've been playing lately, which is the escape room games. And escape rooms are inherently a group setting. But the thing that they do really well, and the thing that they don't do well sometimes, is kind of appeal to different skill sets. So we're being forced to solve the same puzzle at the same time. But unless you've got like a a mad genius in your group that solves every puzzle first, typically some puzzles are easier for some people to solve based on their skill set, you know, just real life skill set that the player has. And some 
are easier for other players to solve. And I think that's one of the keys. And if the same person is always solving the puzzle, I think that can become problematic. I think people can get disinterested. I think there are certainly ways to re-involve those players, but then it becomes, you know, down to the players too. Like when I play those escape room games, and I'm sure you're the same with your kids, I always let my kids look at the puzzle first. And then if they can't figure it out, then I grab it and I start helping with it. But I try to make them feel clever when they are doing those games. Yeah, I I guess it's the same with these grouping up mechanics. Yeah, if I'm going to play a game that has this group mechanics, a lot of times I'll let my kids choose and maybe I'll take one of the actions of the four, something like that. So I think there has to be a way to, to make sure everybody feels involved. And I think Exodus can do this just because you're not forced to group up, first of all. And second of all, you can say this turn you control it, next turn I control it. So the group dynamic can do it. But I think there needs to be a way to make people feel like active participant and not just someone who's clinging on to the group. Yeah, and I'll end with a point about Escape Room Games too, a series that I think we might cover sometime in the future, but I know Peter's a big fan of, and that's Deckscape. Uh, kind of more so than the other ones, they have these different colored decks, and it makes sense for like one player to be looking at the yellow card while another player is looking at the green card. And the Deckscapes don't always do this, but the ones I like the best do. Your solution will depend on something from my card, which encourages this uh, kind of cooperative discussion, sharing of information, us passing the decks back and forth between each other. And again, in card-based form, it almost models that adventure game idea of, I'm going to go away for a little while, but then I'm going to come back and cooperate. Then I'm going to go away again, go into my own corner, do my own actions, and then come back and cooperate. So even though I still think Unlock is my favorite, and they've done it in their own way, like the airplane example you gave, I think Deckscape sort of has built into their structure a bit more of that uh, separate and then cooperating uh, style of gameplay. Well, don't give away too much because you got me excited. I do want to do a Deckscape review, so that'll <laughs> yeah, probably be coming soon. So don't don't give up too much on your thoughts on all the, uh, the uh, Escape Room games because uh, I feel like that that's probably coming up in our next couple episodes. All right, well, I'll leave it there then. So everyone, thank you so much. Uh, check out Exodus Rise of Corruption. Uh, it's a fun one. Not a huge, huge, like you must play recommend from either of us, but we definitely enjoyed it. And uh, yeah, check out some games that have group mechanics and uh, split up play and let us know what you think is the best of each. You can jump on Slack, Discord, leave us a comment on SoundCloud or any cloud or <laughs> wherever we have our podcast. It's in a bunch of places. All right. So everyone have a great time this week and in the coming weeks. Stay safe, stay healthy. And thank you so much for joining us for another conversation on the One Stop Co-op Shop podcast. Bye. Thanks for listening to another episode of the One Stop Co-op Shop podcast. Please check out our YouTube channel at One Stop Co-op Shop. If you want to reach out to us, the best place to talk to us all is on the Slack. See the show notes for details. Also, you can support us on Patreon. Check out patreon.com slash one stop. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you all next week with another top five list. And then we'll also have a design discussion on... What the hell did I say? (laughs) And now they've left behind these ruins. They're not ruins, they're runes. Dang it. They're spelled ruins. Oh, no, then they're ruins. They're ruins where the artifacts are, dude. Yes, they are ruins. Oh.
All right, so they've left. <laughs> Gosh darn it. F, the, F this theme. Stack of tiles, and you kind of have to get to the bottom, because in the bottom three is like the final gate that you have to put it in. You have to put it in a gate, Peter? <laughs> Wait, what? You have to put it in a gate? Don't you put it in a gate? What are those things called? I mean, I just don't want you to put it in anywhere. You got to put the keys in the something. No, no, you're, no, you're right. <laughs> Hey, Mike. Yeah, yeah. I like things with X in them. That disturbs me. What is X? X Men. They're cool. X Rays. They. You like X Rays? <laughs> I love seeing my bones. <laughs>